from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are merciful, God. Not only did you hold back your wrath and punishment from us, Lord, um, but you took it upon yourself on the cross, Lord, and now we get to be set apart as your children, God, um, that we have received the inheritance set in heaven for us, um, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, God. And so I ask that um, our hearts will be encouraged today as we Learn how to be generous, God, um, especially in this time, um, Lord, when things may look like we're not having enough and we're lacking, Lord, um, but may us be reminded that you are a generous giver and you are a Heavenly Father who gives good gifts to your children, Father. Um, so I ask that you would speak to Tommy and through him, Lord, that you would encourage our congregation, um, that you would challenge us, convict us, encourage us to be generous all the more um, in this time. And we love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, all right. Good morning, Mercy House. This is a this is a pretty strange time. Um, this is was not in the original job description, so we've had to renegotiate some contracts on the staff to make sure that the, it would include airtime. Uh, but we're all good now, and uh, but really we are super glad that you are joining us. We know that this is not um, what anyone would have forecasted uh, in terms of what church would look like. Uh, but here we are, and we're very happy uh, to be here to be able to have this technology. Uh, to communicate the gospel, to worship with you, and for you guys to engage with one another. So if you're just joining us now, um, just a reminder, this is church. Uh, we want to encourage you to participate. Um, we have people who are staffing um, the, the comment section, so if you have questions, uh, definitely just, just shoot those out, and we're going to have a time to be able to, to go over some of the questions, which is something that we don't normally get to do on a Sunday morning, but uh, because of the situation, we're going to have a chance to do that. So I uh, encourage you to also um, have your, your Bibles open. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. Um, 
have a notebook and pen open because here's what's happening. Um, we don't have a lot of time. We're not going to be preaching for the normal 45 to 50-ish minutes. Um, it's going to be pretty truncated. And so uh, my goal is I want to do a, an overview of this text um, and also give you just some, I'm going to open some cans of worms and I'm going to let you uh, meditate and, and, and converse with those around you um, in your house or uh, via video chat throughout the week. And so really encourage you to, to chew on this as it's being preached um, and, and as it's being presented to you. Um, but really, as we dive into this passage, it's going to be really important for us to kind of look back a few weeks ago to Robert's uh, sermon that he preached. Um, Robert was preaching on the verses right before this in, in verses 20 through 26, and it's really important that we kind of build off of this to really get the correct interpretation of where we are this week. Um, and so here's kind of the main gist of, of, of what Jesus is preaching. Um, he, he's preaching the, the Beatitudes, and in those verses, similar to uh, like a presidential campaign, um, it, it's like an opening campaign speech. And here Jesus is declaring to the world what life would look like if, he, if we were to subject ourselves under his leadership and under his kingship. And so the, the Beatitudes, as you read them, are less of things that we need to do. Um, Jesus is not saying that you need to be poor, um, that you need to be weeping, that you need to be hated by people. That's not what he's communicating. What, what he's saying is that when King Jesus is the ruler and reigner of your life, um, those circumstances that you would normally, uh, that would normally produce sadness, um, despair and isolation uh, and, and feelings of worthlessness uh, become conditions that are really ripe for blessing. Um, the, the conditions that were once seen as indications of non-blessing from God um, uh, are, are really, uh, when you're under the rule and reign of King Jesus, they are the means by which incredible blessings flow from God. Uh, he turns this idea of what was commonly understood to be blessed really completely on its head. And so the resonating note from that passage that rings through uh, to this morning's passage is this. The idea that life in the kingdom of God it is radically different from life as we know it here on earth. Radically different. So when you're following King Jesus, life looks absolutely completely different from what life looks like when you're operating in this world. Uh, not under the kingship of Jesus. And when you submit to, to Jesus as king, when you follow him, uh, when he takes up this ultimate office of authority in your heart, in your mind, uh, the very framework and the paradigm that you use to navigate through this world gets completely transformed. So completely understanding that, that this transformation is a process, right? It's not necessarily instantaneous. It does take uh, time, it takes exhortation, it takes reminders, but this is the essence of what Jesus is getting at. And so this flip, which happens to those who follow Jesus, uh, is really the lens that we need to look through as we're looking into these next verses. If we don't, um, if, if we live in our current paradigm with our current world's view, we'll see that what Jesus is calling us to is completely impossible. It's just impossible tasks uh, that will crush us. I mean, if you jump right into the text, looking at verses 27 and 28, um, 27 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Mercy House, don't 
just gloss over these verses. I'm sure that you've heard them before. Um, if you hear these verses, if you read these verses and kind of go, yeah, 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 um, be nice to my enemies, got it, check, let's move on to the next ones. I don't think you're really hearing what Jesus is saying here. Now, I want you to do something for me from home. Uh, because uh, I, I'm afraid that when we see the word enemy, we might have this reflex to think of someone who we might not get along with very well, right? We all have these people in our lives that are kind of hard to love, that they're difficult to interact with. They're draining on us when we spend time with them. Now, I don't think that what Jesus is saying is he's, he's not saying don't love these people. Um, but Jesus, he isn't saying love those who are challenging to love. That's not what he's saying here. So I want you to take a second right now, and I, I want you to think about someone who has hurt you. I want you to think about someone who has hurt you, maybe repeatedly. Someone who seems to always be against you, against what you're trying to accomplish. Someone who constantly puts you down at, at every opportunity that they're given. Someone who just actively opposes you. Someone who's hostile towards you. Someone who has abused you whether physically, verbally, emotionally, sexually. Now, I know this isn't an incredibly rosy exercise for us to be doing on a Sunday morning, but with this person in mind, I want you to hear these verses again. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Life in the kingdom of God for those who follow King Jesus is radically different from life as we know it in this world. And so as we look at these verses, this is the way that it's structured. You have this love your enemy, and then Jesus goes into how we do it. He names three things. He says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And so love. All right, this idea of love, whether you're loving a friend or you're loving an enemy, it is an active and practical thing that you do. It's not just a, it's not a feeling uh, like we would see in, uh, in film or in literature or even in advertising. Um, it, it really is a choice. It includes feelings, but if you were to ask me, Tommy, why do you love Caitlin, your wife? Why do you love her? Um, I would probably give you a very long list uh, of all the things that I love about Caitlin, all, all the things about her character, uh, how sweet she is, how kind she is, how gentle she is, uh, how beautiful she is, uh, things that, that all make it really easy to love her. But when it comes down to it, I love Caitlin because I choose to love Caitlin. I choose to love Caitlin through sickness and through health till death do us part. And so I'm very fortunate that, this, uh, that she is an incredibly easy person to love easy person to choose to love. And so as we're reading this, the, the command here is not to manufacture soft and affectionate feelings for your enemy, nor are, are, are those feelings things that you have to have in order to love your enemy. Jesus makes it really clear. He says, love your enemies by choosing to do good to them, by choosing to bless them, or that is speaking positively and honorably about them, and choosing to pray for them. These are very practical. And Jesus, after this, goes even deeper into how to practically love your enemies. In verse 29, he says, To those who strike you on the cheek, 
proffer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now this is not a super easy text to preach through in 15 minutes. Um, there are some obvious questions that I think come to mind. So when you read 29, uh, verse 29 there, is this supporting pacifism? Should, should I really not defend myself if someone is attacking me? Is that what it's getting at there? Another question out of verse 30, uh, where it's talking about give to those who beg. Does this really mean that I literally have to give to every single person who begs for me, or every panhandler that asks for money from me? Is this how I'm supposed to interpret it? And so I, I think that these are good questions that naturally flow out of the text. And I do want to encourage you to kind of chew on this text and think about these questions throughout the week. Talk with those who are around you in your house. Talk with those on the telephone and through uh, video chat this week. And um, I, I want to encourage you to, to, to not just listen to this. There's a lot more that can come out um, of a conversation when you talk about these things. But I do want to give you just a couple of quick thoughts to hopefully steer you in what I believe is the right direction um, to understand these passages. And so verse 29, uh, I think cultural context is absolutely key here. Um, this verse is not about being passive in the face of physical harm. So culturally, a slap on the cheek is really more uh, of an insult to someone's honor than it was about uh, physical violence being taken upon someone else. Um, it's, it's when someone openly dishonors you, um, insults you, uh, speaks lies about you. Um, and what Jesus is getting at here is that the appropriate gospel-transformed response of those in King Jesus's kingdom is, is to not retaliate. That's what turning the other cheek means, not retaliating. I know this is absolutely silly, but when I was younger, this is due to really poor exegesis of this text uh, in the church that I grew up in, but uh, I kid you not, I thought that turning your cheek meant like you moon them. So if someone insults you, you're allowed to moon them. This is not what Jesus is getting at in this passage. See, what happens is it actually connects back to what Jesus is talking about previously, right before this, um, about blessing those who curse you. So when people put you down, when they insult you, uh, when they dishonor you, dishonor your name, it's, instead of seeking retaliation or maybe uh, playing that interaction over and over in your head as you think of like the perfect comeback for them, like as you're laying in, in, in bed at night and thinking about, man, what could I have said that would have just completely made them look really stupid? That, that's not turning the other cheek, right? You submit that to God. You, you forgive them. And then you bless them when the opportunity arises. That is the kind uh, of kindness and mercy that Jesus calls us to as we are to live in his kingdom. Now for verse 30, where it says, give to everyone who begs from you. Does that mean we should give money to every single person who asks for money? It sure seems that way. Um, it, it's hard to kind of dance around such a direct statement from Jesus. Um, but I, I think, again, some historical context could be helpful here. Um, and Robert talked about this uh, a few weeks ago as he was preaching on the passages before this. But the concept of begging that Jesus is referring to is from someone who has reached uh, a level of absolute destitution. Um, 
they're in a place where if they don't get resources or, or, or assistance, that they will die. Um, it, it's, it's the poor that we see earlier in verse 20. Not a poor like, oh, I'm so poor I can't afford Disney+. Plus, Right? Poor like, I'm so poor that I'm going to die unless someone helps me. And so Jesus is saying if someone is in a place of extreme poverty that results in them needing to beg for their livelihood, if, if that person comes to you and asks you for help and you have the means to help them, you do it. You do it. Now, I think there's obviously some wisdom and some discernment that needs to be exercised when you encounter someone who's begging for you for, for anything. Um, in, in determining whether they're really in a place of sincere need or if giving to them or giving them what they want is, is, is really the best way to help them. Um, I, I have two little girls at home and they're constantly begging for things and they're asking uh, for, for things that might not be the best for them. And so I'm exercising wisdom and discernment and seeing, okay, is this the best thing for them? Like, should I give them just M&Ms for dinner tonight? Probably not. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to say no to them as they beg for, for that. But I do think that this, this wisdom and discernment balance and, and kind of the dance there is what Jesus would, would encourage us to participate in. Because as we participate in that, uh, it engages us with the people who are begging from us. Uh, it encourages us to interact with them, to talk with them, to, to get to know them, see what their needs are, and see how we can meet those needs. And I think here's the challenge. If you find yourself walking down the street and you see someone who's about to beg for, from from you for money, um, and, and and you find yourself just hardening your heart uh, for this interaction that's about to happen. You you start preparing yourself to say no before they even ask you or even talk to you. And maybe you cross the street to completely avoid the situation as a whole. I, I would encourage you give that to God, to, to to pray about that, to talk to someone about that, um, because it, it is. Uh, not even giving them an opportunity to articulate their needs to you. You've already decided in your heart, I'm not going to give to this person no matter what. And so that's definitely not the place that God would want your heart to be in. And if it is over here, then pray about it. Give that to God. How we deal with people that beg from us, um, I think is an indicator in terms of how we view just our resources. Um, I, I think it's one of the most visible manifestations of a greedy heart. Um, and, and, and here's the most dangerous thing is that it, in the world that we live in right now, um, in, during our time, the, the hyper skepticism um, that we exercise when someone begs from us is totally normalized. It's totally normalized. It's seen as actually being pretty wise. Right? If someone begs you for money and you can ask the question, well, is this really the best thing for them? They're probably just going to take the money and maybe buy alcohol or they're going to squander it or whatever that is. We have this framework where it's wise to not give to people who are begging from you. It's seen as wise. And, and I think um, Jesus' kingdom is different than this. Um, if being stingy with our resources is leaning into kind of the wisdom of this world, I think the opposite side of that is maybe I'd argue that um, we lean toward being foolishly generous. And that's a bit of a digression. Let me pull us back to the point that we were on. Um, there's, there's a similarity as we're looking at these two concepts. There's a similarity between giving to those who beg from us and loving our enemies. And, and this is the similarity, that neither of those actions can be reciprocated. 
And that's also why it's so hard to do these two things. Look at these final verses for this morning. Verse 32. Um, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You know who are the easiest people to love? Those who love you back. You know who is really easy to be kind and nice to? Those who are immediately kind and nice to you. See, Jesus uses this analogy of money, uh, of money lending, to really articulate this point. He's saying, uh, you know who it's easiest to lend cash to? Those who pay you back right away uh, in a timely manner. Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, the people of this world, they lend money to other people uh, because they know that they can expect that money to be returned to them. So it's easy for them to lend money. Um, they love each other. This is people in this world. They love each other, uh, one another, because they know that it's going to be reciprocated, that they're going to be loved back. And when it's not, when that love is, is a one-way street, when that care is one way, when the exchange of time and of energy and of resources is completely draining because it's one way, you stop. It doesn't make sense to love someone, to pour yourself out into someone who doesn't reciprocate at all. And so you have license to disengage, right? That's what worldly wisdom would say. You can choose to stop loving. But Jesus say, look, those of you who are in, in, in my kingdom, things are going to be different. Mercy has. Um, Jesus is calling us to be different. And not just for the sake of being different, but because uh, look at verse 35. And this is really the reason why we do these things. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. We practice this radical generosity of our love and our resources toward the most difficult, ungrateful, offensive recipients who can't give anything back in response, when we do that, we actually model our God and our Father's love and mercy. A love and mercy that, that we, as those who follow King Jesus and who are members of God's family, have experienced through receiving God's grace through the gospel. We see this in Romans 5, verse 8 and 10. God shows us his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, while, and, and for a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The, the ultimate act of generosity uh, that can never be paid back uh, toward people who were completely destitute and offensive enemies was Jesus' willing death on the cross as payment for our debt of sin. Mercy House, brothers and sisters, wherever you are listening from, uh, we were the destitute beggar 
uh, with nothing to offer in return. We were the offensive enemy. And as we have experienced God's radical generosity, let us be a church family. Let us be a, a, a global church that models that to the world around us. Here comes Robert. Amen. Well, thank you, Tommy. Awesome word. Um, man, great takeaways. I Some of the things I wrote down in my notes, just life is radically different. Um, as a Christ follower, uh, that love is active, right? It's practical. Uh, that turn the other cheek is not mooning. Uh, that's, that's a good one. If you take nothing else away from this, <laughs> you take nothing. That was key. Uh, just kidding. That was not key. Um, and uh, just that the loving of enemies and the giving to the beggarly is a, it's important, but it's also an illustration of loving in a way where we're not getting reciprocity. And, uh, and that's the gospel. Amen. I, I, I love that. Um, so questions that probably folks are having, and you can also be putting some, some questions in uh, to the Facebook Live, which we are tracking. Um, but one that I was thinking of is, what if you feel like you don't really have a lot of resources, and here you're hearing this sermon, you're supposed to be generous, what, what would you say to that, to that person? Um, I think that generosity is relative, so I think that right away we can think of people who, you know, you hear stories of people, especially during the COVID-19, uh, owners of sports teams donating tens of millions of dollars to the cause. Um, I don't have tens of millions of dollars. Not, 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 not tens of millions. <laughs> um, so I, I think that it is relative, though. And, and so we all do have resources. We do live in a time and a place where um, we have resources that, that we can give up. And, and that, again, is relative to what you have. Um, we see instances in Scripture where it's more about the heart behind it than the actual quantity of money. So I think that's one thing. The second thing that I actually took away from... Uh, sermon way back in college you preached about being generous and um, you, you talked about if you want to be a writer someday um, you don't just like arrive as a writer right mm -hmm. you, you take the time with what resources you have to practice writing practice writing and you yeah. do, I think it's the same thing with generosity Absolutely. I think it's easy to be like okay one day when I have those tens of millions of dollars I'm gonna be generous yeah. and the challenge was well how are you being generous with your ten dollars yeah. now that's, that's so true and that's gonna be the trajectory for generosity yeah Love it. Uh, I, th I think one of the moments in the sermon that was hard was thinking of, okay, someone who has hurt me and, and then thinking about how I'm supposed to respond to that. And I, I know that that's not something we can do in like 30 seconds. Right. Um, so could you help me understand like the process of what that might look like if, if I've kind of zeroed in on one or two relationships like that in the sermon and then... Like, what, what does it look like going forward? I think that's a really good question because I, I think that, especially as I encourage you to think about that person that's hurt you, everyone has that person. And, and the degree of hurt is all over the spectrum and also super deep in a lot of instances. Um, I, I think that the first thing that has to happen is it has to be brought to God. I think that there's a supernatural forgiveness that happens that is not a, okay, I'm going to just muster up the strength and I'm going to, you know, forgiveness is not getting over something. Um, I think that forgiveness, when that happens, is someone has to absorb the debt. Mm. And so we talk about debt forgiveness. Um, when you say a debt is forgiven, that doesn't mean that it's just like 
it disappears. Someone has to eat that debt. So if it's a school mm. loan um, that you've taken through a bank, if that loan gets forgiven, that money has to come from somewhere. And so similarly, when, when we are um, when we are hurt and we choose to forgive somebody, we are choosing to take on mm. that hurt. Yeah. And what we would want is for them to feel that hurt. And so for you to experience right. the hurt that you did to me. But I think through the gospel, we're able to approach God with this hurt that he uh, understands better than we do yeah. the pain and, 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 and the hurt that we've experienced. And we can lay that at God's feet. And there is this supernatural process that God works us through in forgiveness. Yeah. Is there anything good. you'd add to that? Yeah, no, I, I think of it that way as well. It's, it's as if you're, you're absorbing it. But not for long, mm-hmm. right? You're putting it on Christ, right. that, that, that Christ has died both for your sin, but also even for sins that have been committed against you. Um, and so the, the gospel is sufficient for all of that. Right. Right. So, no, that's good. That's good. Um, I, th- I think one of the, the kind of follow-up questions uh, in my mind is, okay, so I've identified this person that's hurt me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to offer forgiveness, at least in my heart. Um, what if that person doesn't even view what they've done as hurtful? Like they don't, they're, they're clueless about uh, what they've done. Mm. Well, if they're a Christian, you pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, I can think of experiences personally where that's happened, where someone has said something that's hurtful, and I just I want them to recognize that that was hurtful. Uh, but they just don't see it. Um, it's a blind spot for them. Um, and I think that you can pray for them. Um, you pray for your enemies. I think that's part of what, what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, because the Holy Spirit can work in their hearts. And I've had this happen to me. Where I'm, I'll, I'll just have the Holy Spirit kind of be like, wow, what you said was really hurtful. And I don't think I would have otherwise had that, that level of clarity or that recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are times where like, wow, that, that was really hurtful. And so I can approach that person and say, listen... I'm really sorry. I, I I don't think I was trying to hurt you, and this is what I did, and and I can apologize. And I'll tell you, when you're praying for that and someone else, and they approach you and apologize, mm. um, that's like it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that yeah, experience yeah. No, yourself. No, no, that's good. I, yeah, and I, I think the thing, one thing to watch out for is is like ambushing people and saying, um, "You hurt me really badly, and I forgive you." Mm. It, it, it turns into kind of this manipulation. Um, and, and instead of something that's actually helpful, right? So, and it's very possible that that person never acknowledges yep. how they hurt you. Yeah, and I think that that's the most challenging thing about loving your enemies is yes. that more often than not, your enemies are not going to understand the depth of their hurt toward you. Yeah, but we're called to love them anyways. That's good. Well, we have a question uh, from online from Liz Mansfield. Hey, Liz. Hey, Liz. Glad glad you're out there. Uh, she says, we were recently debating a suggestion that the ideal form of Christianity would be complete generosity or giving away virtually everything. What are your thoughts on that logic? Um, I'm, I'm glad he's in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this is me answering. I don't know. This, uh, I think practically if you give away everything, then you don't have any more to give. Um, I think that there's some wisdom and shrewdness to building a system that could be more sustainable to help people. So this is a little bit more entrepreneurial. I think some people are built this way where uh, it is possible for you to give everything away and God can continue to bless you and just use you as a conduit 
of like resources flowing in and flowing yep. out. Um, and I've seen people where like they literally get donated money and they give it away. Um, so I think that that can happen. Yeah, yeah. I think for other people who might be more entrepreneurial might say, you know what, God has given me these skills, these resources, these experiences, these gifts, and I'm going to use these um, and leverage these to get more resources um, and, and, and be a conduit for that giving from God blessing us and then us being able to bless other people. So yeah. if God's calling you, if you feel like at peace and God's calling you to right. sell your house, give up all your stuff and give it to the poor, then do it. We see Absolutely. that in scripture. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, Jesus does call people to give up everything they have, to sell everything yeah. and give to the poor. But that is also an instance that is very specific application for that person. Yeah. So for someone else, it might be, uh, I think some people might hear that and be like, I wish God would do that for me because it's, it's relative. It could be easy, right? Some people are kind of dispositioned toward, I want to just give everything away. Well, God might be calling you to use what you have to build something yeah. that can further impact people for generations to come. And that's a lot harder for some people um, yeah. to, to walk down. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I would say, uh, Liz, you're holding some things in tension, right? Like you read some of Paul's words and he's saying, you know, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And then you're like, okay, give to the poor. Like, what is it? And what it is, is these are truisms that we're holding together. And in the inspiration of God's spirit, uh, we're applying those those principles, yeah. which is wisdom. I mean, and, and yeah. which is the word you used earlier in your sermon. Uh, is, is it's, a, it's a wisdom kind of a thing that you have to navigate. Right. And I think, too, that we're under grace. There's tons of grace, so I don't think that we can ever be too generous. Right. I don't think we give away too much and we're like, oh, no. That's I, right. God, what's going to happen now? Like, you, you're, you're never on your own in yeah. that way. Um, so if you find yourself feeling like, oh, this is a scary place to be giving, that's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and know that God is the provider for yeah, us. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of, part of what you're saying is that this is radical. This is radical generosity. So... It should feel sacrificial. It, it, it should feel scary mm -hmm. um, because you're having to depend on God to continue that. And right. uh, so, abs absolutely. All right, so um, Favorite has one, has a question. Hey, Favo, glad you're here. Um, the Bible talks about giving with a cheerful heart, but our hearts are not always ready to give. Is there a time when we need to challenge ourselves to give, even if our hearts are not cheerful? You know, I think of that passage where it also says, like, let your right hand not know what your left hand is doing. <laughs> yeah. um, personally, I we have our tithes set up on an automatic, um, uh, like, draw. So it just happens. Uh, sometimes I don't know about it, and sometimes it causes problems because I don't yeah. know about it. I, I don't know. I think this is really challenging. It, and it is like, do you fake it until you make it? What, what do you think, Robert? Well, I, I think it's one of those uh, standards, right? It's a holy standard. Like, not only are we to be generous, we are to be generous with a cheerful heart. Uh, so, yes, continue to be generous, but also confess when your heart's not cheerful in the giving. And ask the Lord for gospel grace to transform your heart so that you will be cheerful. Um, because it is a powerful testimony mm -hmm. to gospel grace when people are radically generous and they do so with great joy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a uniquely Christian kind of thing. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And, it, and it's a sweet experience when you're able to, I think it's a, it, it's a level of fellowship with God 
that you get to participate in mm-hmm. as you are stewarding, stewarding right. those resources and, and getting to bless someone through God, through yep. what he's given you to yep. bless them. And so when it's done in the right place, when your heart is in the right place, when your resources are going to the right place, there is like this sweetness That's right. factor to it. That's in your text, right? It's, it's like you're giving, you're being generous just as the Father has been generous to you. Right. Now you get to be generous. And so you're working in co-labor with him, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, very powerful. Uh, Sarah Abbott ha- says, uh, I've been reading, learning a lot about hospitality. How do you see hospitality fitting into being generous, especially now? Oh, especially now. That's the <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I think hospitality is being generous with your home, yeah. um, and being generous with the resources that you have, and not just writing a check necessarily, but creating an experience uh, where mm-hmm. people can feel at home, at yep. ease, uh, feel safe. Um, you know, for me, I, I I think about how like having a meal prepared for me personally, uh, is, is just really special. Uh, and I don't say, I just, I love food. Um, I do enjoy cooking. And for some reason, when Caitlin like has dinner prepared, it, it just like means the world to me that, uh, and so there, there's some of that. I mean, hospitality, I think is ultimately, um, geared toward people outside of your home. So, yeah, yeah. so not just Christians, welcoming um, a stranger, welcoming a stranger. Yeah. So yeah. there's a difference between fellowship and hospitality, which I think is important to distinguish. Yeah. But I think that it's being generous with what you have in your home. So if Sarah dropped off a meal on your doorstep and I kept would, social distance, you'd be okay with that? I mean, I would, I would give her a hug if she... I'm just kidding, I wouldn't do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's definitely a way to show love to the Moors. If okay. you want to drop off food at our doorstep, we, we <laughs> would gladly receive that. Yes, we, yeah. Thanks, Tommy. Boop. Appreciate cool. the word. Appreciate yep. 